welcome to Wireless Future. I'm Emil Björnsson, and just as in the last episode, this is going to be a conversation with Eric Larsson. How are you? Oh, good, Emil. How are you today? I'm perfect. So it will be exciting to continue this uh, podcast and videocast. And today I was thinking that we're going to talk about this wireless future that we are heading into, where everything starts to be wirelessly connected. And uh, we are sort of relying more and more on this different wireless connectivity in all the apps. So uh, some weeks ago, I was dropping off one of my kids at an activity and I realized that I forgot my phone, which meant that I couldn't even pay for parking anymore uh, because everything is sort of relying on that we are wirelessly connected all the time. Uh, and uh, I was thinking then that what are the consequences that are not so good with that kind of development. So we sort of we see all the convenience, but are there any problems, sort of security concerns? Mm. Uh, so I mean, you're entirely right. We're building a society that relies increasingly on infrastructure for wireless communications, and that also exposes us to a number of new threats. Um, in wireless specifically, there are really two main kinds of threats. Number one is eavesdropping, that somebody is like listening to a connection that's supposed to be secret or private. And the second is jamming and spoofing, which means someone is actively transmitting something in order to disrupt the communication link or pretend that someone else is you and thereby gain access to like your services um, from, from the network. Um, so these are threats that are all due to the open nature of the wireless channel. I mean, if I put up a uh, wireless link here with a, with a transmit antenna and a, and a receive antenna, then the transmit antenna sends something out and anyone in the room here in principle can, can receive that signal, right? And anyone in the room could concurrently transmit something else. And my receiving antenna would have no chance of telling whether, you know, the signal I'm pinging there comes from the legitimate transmission or, or whether it comes from someone else. And uh, just as you said, I mean, this is a uh, potential threat to... Yeah, it sounds troublesome. Of, yeah. <laughs> so, so what yeah. Did, more specifically could these uh, uh, kind of properties be utilized for if someone wants to uh, sort of affect us in a negative way? Right, so perhaps jamming attacks are the simplest. I mean, and well, my favorite example goes back 20 years to the 2001 EU summit in Gothenburg in Sweden, where uh, the police had 700 officers on the field, and some of the demonstrants <laughs> used uh, equipment to jam the uh, police uh, officers' uh, radio communications equipment to the point that the commander in charge could not reach any of the officers <laughs> on the field. And I mean, this was done using extremely rudimentary technology and done by folks who probably had not much idea about wireless to start with. So, I mean, just imagine what you could do if you really wanted to cause harm for real here. And I think we have to understand this also in the context that equipment for jamming, for example, I mean, equipment that maybe 30, 40 years ago used to be military grade, cost millions of dollars, is now today things that you could buy off the internet for no money at all. So all this te technology, I mean, air quotes, technology for jamming and disruption of wireless links has a potential mass market that nobody knows where this could be going if somebody really wanted to cause harm for real. 
So are these products that you can buy commercially in an open way or is it something that is uh, forbidden to sort of own? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I, I guess I suppose it depends on the jurisdiction whether it's forbidden to own, but uh, I think most parts of the world is definitely forbidden to use. I mean, if you can't, it's not allowed to transmit in spectrum that you don't own, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, to some extent, I mean, equipment for jamming is still like military grade, but there is a black market for it. So you, you can buy it if you really want. But it's also true that a lot of equipment for like just research experimentation with software defined radios for example and we had in my at the university we had a student project some years ago where we used software defined radios to listen to gsm signals and it would be equally easy i mean to transmit gsm signals we didn't do that obviously because it'd be <laughs> illegal right but in principle we you know you could do it with that sort of equipment and we're talking about Equipment that cost a thousand dollars or or less here. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard about that there are these two categories of attacks: the active and the passive attacks. So are these yeah. mapping to these two categories that you mentioned before with eavesdropping and, and jamming? Right. So so passive attack basically means you listen, right? You try to eavesdrop. You try to gain access to someone else's data by overhearing or, or just listening. Active means that you transmit yourself in order to disrupt a communication link or in order to pretend that you are someone else and thereby can gain access, would gain access to, I mean, whoever that other person's data. So that is the distinction between active and passive. And uh, in a way, I mean, passive is simpler because it doesn't require a transmitter. Passive also means that you, nobody can discover that you're there, right? If, you, if mm. you're active, then you transmit something so others could, in principle, locate you and see where you are. I see. So uh, let's go through these two categories in a little bit more detail. So, so we can start with the, the passive case, the eavesdropping. So I, I'm having the impression that whenever you send some data over the internet to so show that is important, you sort of try to use some kind of end-to-end encryption protocol so you encrypt it at the transmitter and then when you receive it somewhere else in the world you decrypt it Uh, and then the signal could of course float over the internet in cables but it could also go wireless does this thing that the signals even if they are encrypted floating over the air does that create some kind of additional problems that we don't have when we are sending it over cables well, I mean, for one thing, there are more potential uh, eavesdroppers in wireless, right? Because if you want to eavesdrop on a cable, you've got to either cut the cable or you're going to get really close to it. But and a wireless link, in principle, is enough that you're somewhere in the vicinity. But now that said, I mean, as you already you stated, right, most if not all of the wireless communications today is encrypted. And that encryption is extremely secure, typically. I mean, it's amazing what this cryptography technology can do for us. So... I think the eavesdropping threat is really, um, how to say, less of a, a, a real threat unless we are dealing with actors that have access to extremely fast supercomputers or, or, or side knowledge about the system somehow so that they could break the cryptos. But, um, so would it be fair to say that... that for for criminals of the sort of regular kind, it won't be a problem. But if it is the uh, like uh, states 
organizations that are anyway conventionally wiretapping uh, in the wired yeah. setting, they would also be able to decrypt wireless signals if they have enough yeah. resources. Pro probably. I mean, breaking cryptos is extremely hard, right? So the encryption itself typically probably is not the, the, the weakest link here. Mm. I heard about uh, something called physical layer security. So I guess this end-to-end -end encryption is some kind of application layer mm. uh, encryption or security. Mm. So what can you do in the physical layer to try to actively make it more secure? Right. So, I mean, as you said, I mean, conventional encryption works on the on the bit stream itself, right? On the zeros and ones and then intermingles the zeros and ones and um, um, adds security through like data processing or digital processing of those bits. Physical layer security, on the other hand, works on the actual electromagnetic signals that propagate over the ether. And uh, physical layer security itself is actually a whole family of techniques. Um, to give a couple of examples, number one is uh, beamforming for physical layer security. So here the idea is that, well, if I'm the transmitter and you're the receiver and I have a large array of antennas, I can beamform and transmit power only in a small narrow angular window so that it reaches you, but it hardly reaches anyone else. So. If an eavesdropper is located a bit away from you, then the eavesdropper will receive so little power from my transmission that he won't be able to decode or, or, or I mean, pretty much hear anything. Um, number, example number two is um, key generation. So pretty much every cryptographic algorithm in use today relies on the two parties communicating to have some common source of randomness. I mean, typically the way it works is that I know some secret random number or code or key, and you you happen to in some through some mechanism you have obtained the same uh, secret key, and then we can use this secret key to to cipher the uh, messages that we send to one another. Now, so now in order for us to generate these keys, we need a mechanism for that, and public key cryptography can do this for us. Um, and there's an additional layer of, say, security in this key generation. It has been suggested to utilize physical layer properties. For example, the fact that if you and me talk to each other wirelessly, then, well, the channel between us, the, the, the actual channel impulse response, I mean, the way that the electromagnetic propagation environment looks between me and you is reciprocal. So you see the same channel response to me as I see to you. Uh, however, anyone else here in the room or somewhere else would see a different channel response. So only you and me would know this channel response. And that way we could use that to generate a secret key that only the two of us know, but nobody else knows. Um, yeah, so these are two examples of yeah, wow. physical layer security. Uh, there seems to be um, a whole wealth of uh, methods here. So I have this impression that sort of when we move to digital communication from analog communication, that, that is sort of automatically providing us with some kind of benefit here. Because uh, as you were mentioning in the first example, we tried to uh, use beamforming to 
make sure that we sort of have a stronger signal at the desired receiver than at any eavesdropper. And if we are then encoding our information with digital communication, there is this concept of adaptive modulation encoding. We try to look at, okay, how good is the channel? Then we try to squeeze in as much information as possible. And as long as someone else is having a much weaker channel, they won't be able to decode it because uh, their channel didn't support this. Uh, so would, would it be accurate to say that there is some kind of built-in security against eavesdropping already in any digital communication system? Yeah, in a way, I mean, but uh, who knows? I mean, if you, you know, you look at a wireless link and uh, the transmitter uses just enough power so that the receiver can decode, right? Mm. Uh, or selects just enough modulation scheme that the, the, the receiver could decode. But what if the eavesdropper is this closer and has a better channel? So in that respect, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really help. But it's certainly, on the other hand, through that... Uh, you could, uh, with digital transmission technology, you could apply other countermeasures, um, especially to jamming. Um, yeah, so, so let's to, move into jamming yeah. then. Uh, that was sort of the active types of attacks. Uh, so what do, are we doing more precisely in the jamming situation? What is the problem? Right, so with active attacks, there are really two kinds of active attacks. One is jamming. Uh, jamming just means that you want to disrupt the communication link and cause it to malfunction, right? Mm -hmm. And the other is spoofing. Spoofing is more sophisticated. In spoofing, it's more like the, the spoofer transmits something that makes the network uh, think that he is someone else. Mm -hmm. And uh, jamming might be the simpler of the two. Um, but it can be also extremely harmful. I mean, and uh, um, yeah. So what can you do to sort of uh, uh, counteract jamming? I guess the military must have standard ways of trying to, to deal with jamming in their kind of systems uh, in military situations. Right, right. Of course, I mean, jamming has been like A or D problem in military communications for as long as there has been radio communication, wireless <laughs> communications, right? Uh, I think the, the short answer to your question is spread out. I mean, spread over large bandwidth, and you can do this through direct sequence CDMA or through frequency hopping or through OFDM with coding over frequency domain. Uh, so spread out over frequency spread out over time if you can afford it. Typically we can't afford it because we have latency constraints, so we can't like <laughs> spread, spread the message out over too long time. And uh, focus in uh, space. I mean, mm -hmm. if you can, if you have an ar array of antennas at your receiver, say, then make sure to steer the array to look into the direction where the transmitter is located and nowhere else, so that um, you won't receive, I mean, potential jamming signals that are coming from elsewhere. Mm. So uh, it, it is a bit like saying that the jammer have a total amount of power that they can use to harm you, and you try to sort of force the jammer to spread it out as much as possible over frequency domain and over space so that uh, it will hit you, and then the piece that actually is hitting you becomes smaller and smaller. Right, yeah, that's a good analog, yeah, I think. Yeah. So are we doing any of these things in the cellular communication systems? We definitely do. I mean, uh, we spread out over bandwidth, right? I mean, most of the, I mean, if you look at 5G, for example, uh, the, the systems use huge bandwidths. Mm. Um, so we do that. On the other hand, 
Um, these systems and standards tend to be vulnerable in another but related aspect, namely all these systems use control channels. Control channels are like supporting channels that carry rather little information, but very important information. Mm. Information on how to, I mean, for new terminals to join the network, how, telling them how they should act, which frequency carry should they transmit on, when should they send something, what should they send when they want to join the network, for example. And uh, also in, I mean, um, in closed loop operation, we, in, uh, in an ongoing communication link, there are pilot signals sent all the time. For example, in, in reciprocity-based massive MIMO, there are pilots on the uplink sent by the terminals. And these pilots are used by the base station to estimate a channel impulse response. And as it turns out, if someone hits these pilots and transmits jamming, which is then focused in time and frequency to hit precisely on these control channels or on these pilot signals, then that can cause a lot of harm, much more harm than just transmitting blindly, like uh, trying to jam the whole thing. So uh, an effective jammer here should, should really hit the control channel, or try to hit the control channels or, or, or hit the, uh, the, the pilot signals. Mm. So we have like built protocols that have certain pieces of them that are essential for the rest of the transmissions to work out. So if you hit those ones, you are sort of harming the, the entire system. Uh, yes. I, I guess one example there would be the, this type of when a user would like to connect, it sort of uh, speaks up at a certain time and mm -hmm. uh, say, I would like to transmit, can you please schedule me for transmission? And uh, mm -hmm. if no one else is talking at the same time or you are sending a signal, then the base station hears you and, and schedules you. And if someone is constantly screaming on those tiny channels, then uh, yeah. it will be hard to be heard. Right, see that's the point. I mean the control channels occupy a fairly small fraction of the frequency spectrum and it is possible, I mean either it might be known a priori or at least it's possible to figure out where in the frequency spectrum are these control channels so that a somewhat smart jammer would know where exactly where to strike. Okay, so we have talked about uh, massive MIMO in previous episodes as sort of one of the, the key new things in, in the 5G standard, for example, or, or new deployments. Uh, do we, with massive MIMO technology, get some kind of improvements in terms of liability against jamming, or is it just as bad? <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, at the surface, it might seem that massive MIMO technology would be inherently a lot more robust to, say, jamming attacks, right? Because if you have a large array of antennas, you can form narrow beams. And if someone is like, trying to jam you, you could filter them out by placing a special null in the direction where the jamming signal comes from, and that way just filter it away. Um, reality turns out to be a little more complicated, and the, the reason is that because it is pilot signals that we talked earlier, that when the massive MIMO array communicates with terminals, then the terminals first have to send pilots mm -hmm. in order for the base station array to learn where they are, so that the base station array subsequently can form an arrow beam to the terminal. However, when the base station array receives these pilot signals, then it doesn't know in what direction to look. So it kind of uh -huh. has to look omnidirectionally. And that way it'll be susceptible to jamming signals that come in from any direction. So um, I think the short answer is that 
well, potentially massive MIMO technology could be made a lot more robust to jamming, but the canonical like standard way of operating reciprocity-based TDD massive MIMO it isn't really. I mean, for this reason that the reception of the pilot signals doesn't filter spatially. So, and that's really the, the really the critical point of the or part of the uh, transmission protocol. I see. So, would it be fair to say that uh, then the massive MIMO technology could be more robust against the passive attacks because of of the direct, directional transmissions, but not necessarily against the active attacks because you uh, still have this sensitivity in terms of the control channels and references. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a uh, an accurate assessment. I mean, I wouldn't think that passive attacks are really a main problem because cryptography is so good and obviously I mean if you have you have good cryptography if you add additional security on top of that in in terms of for example the capability of transmitting in very narrow beams well that's only good right um, but for the active attacks well this is not entirely known I mean firmly so it's like a bit of an open research problem to really mm -hmm. figure out fundamentally is massive MIMO technology more robust or not? And if so, how should it be operated in order to, to, to really get this robustness? But if we look at like canonical TDD reciprocity-based massive MIMO, the way it's described in the textbooks, it's not more robust to jamming attacks than any conventional system. Well, unfortunately so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have one uh, sort of idea that I would like to test with you. So. I guess both of you and me have been sort of promoting that we should build this massive MIMO technologies based on digital beamforming where you sort of have uh, all of these antenna elements and then you are able to control each of them separately. You sort of sample your signals, store them in a uh, computer and then you process it in a digital domain. But then there is this other more traditional approach where you build this type of things in analog. So you sort of uh, having analog circuits that are putting together different antenna element signals first and then you sample the combined signal. And uh, there are always good reasons to use digital beamforming in terms of being able to sort of process the signals in different ways and so many users and so. But I'm thinking whether there is a drawback when it comes to jamming because if we are first forced to take every element in our array, sample the signal, and then uh, we need to process afterwards. Then if every sample is very, very bad because we sort of have added up a lot of uh, these um, jamming signals there, then it might be hard to do anything. While an analog system could sort of steer in the analog domain with infinite precision your signals from one direction and ignore directions where the jamming is, and then you sample after you have sort of already gotten rid of the, the jamming. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, so that's a nice line of thought. I mean, so you're suggesting that with the analog beamforming, you kind of like spatially pre-filter the signal before it enters the digital processing. And that way, the digital processing itself would not have to be as robust to, mm. to jamming. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, if we look at digital first, right, then... The way digital front-end works is they have analog filters that cut out the, the interesting part in the frequency domain, and then you have an AD converter to take the samples, and the AD converter has a certain resolution that we measure in terms of number of bits, 
And after the AD converted, we get basically a string of zeros and ones that enter mm. the like digital processors, right? And um, now if we have a strong jamming signal, then um, in principle, I mean, according to like MIMO textbook theory, if it comes in from a different spatial direction, we could filter it out through spatial processing. I mean, there's this, all these zero forcing methods and all that, right? But, but this, of course, assumes that we have enough dynamic range in the actual digital signals that we process. And uh, that, in turn, means that the resolution of the samplers and the, I mean, the AD converters have to be sufficiently good. So that they, the resolution of the AD converters might very well be a practical limitation in that regard for a digital receiver. Uh, speaking, on the other hand, of an analog beamforming receiver, then, well, it's clear that if we, if we went back like a bit in time and, and sort of like a, a parabolic reflector, if we could mechanically stare in some direction like this, <laughs> then yeah, that would pretty effectively filter out jamming signals that came in from elsewhere, right? Mm. Now, if we do the analog beamforming in analog circuitry, I'm not so sure. I mean, there'll be all sorts of components. There'll be mixers, there'll be phase shifters, there'll be couplers, and um, they are not perfectly linear to start with. So if there's a strong jamming signal coming in, even from a different direction, I think this is very implementation dependent. But you're right. I mean, I think there's a great potential to explore whether analog beam forming or analog phase steering technology could be made more, more, more robust to jamming. So I think this is a bit of an open uh, research topic where, as far as I know, I mean, the, the answer isn't fully known yet. Yeah, and maybe you need like military grade hardware in order to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I mean, you know, it all depends on how much jamming power you won't be able to handle, right? Mm. Somebody is standing 10 meters on the base station blasting like a, a kilowatt of power, then <laughs> good luck. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, what about these new frequency bands that uh, we are moving into with 5G, even if they are mostly in the like conventional bands right now, eventually we've moved to millimeter wave. Do, do you think that will cause new threats or is it sort of the same ones? Ooh, uh, hard to say, I think. I mean, again, uh, I think part of the answer will depend on how the actual circuitry is implemented and... Uh, I'm not entirely sure about this, but I mean, fundamentally, there wouldn't be a difference in, say, the susceptibility to jamming just because you, mm. you know, you double the carrier frequency or tenfold the carrier frequency. One thing that does happen is that with millimetric wave, you'll be able to form sharper, I mean, even in, in the angular domain, more narrow beams. So from that perspective, perhaps you could like more effectively also filter out jamming or, or offer additional protection. But it remains to be seen, I think, whether the uh, electronics here offers the linearity and the resolution that, that would be needed to do such a thing. Yeah, no, I was thinking that also that one thing might be that you have more bandwidth and then you could benefit from, from that. Uh, right. And maybe the signals are going to be more spatially confined uh, so that yeah. if you have a millimeter wave system in your home that maybe the signals will not really make it uh, out through the walls and in the same way jamming things from the outside might be hard to, to reach you. Yeah those are actually good points I mean you might be spreading over a larger bandwidth and you might have more directional transmission so that uh, you know I mean with millimeter wave you pretty much you have line either you have line of sight or you have nothing right <laughs> so, so uh, 
That's true. I mean, and you form very narrow beams. So it's possible that you'd uh, gain other robustness from that. Okay, so suppose we, we have a jammer in the system somehow. Could we detect that it exists? Uh, is that something that is simple to do uh, by processing the received signals? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's definitely easy to detect that something is going on and something <laughs> is wrong, right? I mean, if a communication link dies, it happened for some reason. Was it a fading dip? Was it a um, software malfunction? <laughs> Was it a jammer nearby? Mm. Um, so detecting something is going wrong is, is obviously real easy. Detecting whether it was a jamming signal I think in principle, yes. I mean, we could, I think, easily think of algorithms that could uh, detect and track the behavior of the link and of the channel responses and all that and say that, hey, look, something fishy is going on. It might be a jammer. Mm. Whether anything near that is implemented in like commercial products or systems, I don't know. I wouldn't think so. I never heard of it, in fact. But fundamentally, I think one could detect it. I, I believe the problem is rather that, you know, suppose that we detect that there is jamming going on. Okay, bad luck. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the, uh, so. <laughs> uh, the military or the po police could potentially send people to try to take out, so to say, the, the jammer, <laughs> but uh, uh, maybe that doesn't make much sense for a telecom operator to try to have people stand by for doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if you look more into the future, then would it be a way of building our network in a different way, change the architecture of how we put up the network equipment to make it more robust against uh, jamming? Well, you know, I think my view is that we have to take this threat seriously, right? And uh, it might seem a bit of sci-fi and futuristic or, you know, unrealistic that we would at some point encounter large-scale jamming by some hostile actors. But on the other hand, if we look back in history, I mean, when the internet came around, I still remember, I think it was like 1994 or something, the first time I used the Mozilla browser. And then obviously folks working on internet technology at the time could very well think of and conceive of attacks like uh, distribute denial of service and, and all of that. But nobody really probably thought that this is going to be mainstream in 2020 that, uh, you know, hostile actors all over the globe are going to do all this to mm. <laughs> cause harm, right? So I think we stand with wireless technology in that regard about where the internet stood 25 years ago, that we can very well conceive of attacks that some terrorist organization or who knows, I mean, hostile other actor, we really have the resources and uh, competence to do this. It could buy like lots of small jammers that it deployed, distributed over a larger ge geographical area and activated in some clever pattern. It'd be extremely hard to disarm them and, or even locate where they are. Um, so I think in that regard, a threat here is a little bit like distributed denial of service was 25 years ago, right? So yeah. we have, and we have to, I think, prepare and build a society and build an infrastructure that could handle attacks like that. Uh, so I think that we ought to invest in looking at, for example, could we build into the forthcoming standards some ultra robust communication mode where maybe data rate isn't as important it's not the important thing is not that you and me can sit here and talk and see each other in hd video in real time right the important mm. thing is that we can communicate at all in case 
something you know happens somebody deploys all these distributed jammers i mean think of uh, an autonomous drone just dropping small jammers with a small parachute and they they uh, land uh, at random places all over town or or just land in the trees somewhere and they send sporadic signals that jam the control channels of mm. of the 5G network nobody can talk to anyone no infrastructure no wireless services i mean paying for the parking might be the smallest problem here right <laughs> so so uh, i think yes we have to invest in making our wireless systems and this also goes for the commercial systems not only more bandwidth efficient and high rate and all that but also more robust to possible intentional attacks Hmm. Yeah, I, it will be interesting to see now how things are developing. I, so I think in Sweden, sort of the police uh, officers have had their own cellular system in a completely different frequency band. And now there are discussions whether 5G technology is going to be utilized by the police as well. Uh, and then sort of the threat against the network will also potentially be, be increasing. So it will well, be interesting to see what this yeah going to happen. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, I was thinking that we could talk about one more thing, uh, which is what we are using wireless signals for that's not directly communication related, but it's still something that we do uh, maybe every day, depending on how good geographical sense you have, namely positioning, using the GPS to uh, let the phone uh, position ourselves and tell us where to, to drive. So when it comes to wireless positioning, are there sort of active attacks against that as well? Definitely. I mean, uh, there are jamming and spoofing attacks on uh, GPS, just like there is on wireless, right? Mm. And uh, jamming is the simplest. And and the very simplest of the simplest is like small jammers that you can buy for the car and plug into the like cigarette lighter outlet in the car and they jam your GPS. And the main air quotes use case for that is truck drivers. Who don't want their employers to know how many hours a day or where they are or <laughs> or or you know thefts right if you someone steals a vehicle and wants to drive it through the across the border and, and disappear with it uh jamming is obviously more sophisticated but there are also examples of that where where uh, jammers used i think it was in the persian gulf somewhere where uh, uh, the GPS uh, of, of, was was uh, spoofed so that ships were uh, misled. Their they were misled about their position. And uh, yeah, was this um, this, uh, this is a Swedish uh, ship uh, Stena something that was British flag that was sort of uh, suspicion that they were it was tricked into Iranian water so they could uh, stop it. Yeah, I think the story was something like that. I mean, yeah. this is a real world example that this is already going on. I mean, uh, probably by actors who have a lot of resources and apparently some competence to, to do the job. But you're entirely right that society is becoming increasingly reliant on wireless infrastructure for communication. Yes, we are also increasingly re reliant on infrastructure for wireless positioning, I mean, mm -hmm. GNSS services in particular, right? And uh, this is, I think, another threat that... Uh, we have to take extremely seriously. And um, it might be one thing if your GPS is jammed so you don't find a way <laughs> home or <laughs> a way in town. I mean, it might not be a big deal, right? But GPS is also used for a lot of other services like time synchronizing wireless base stations, for example, and then jamming the GPS system itself could cause a lot of harm on the wireless communications infrastructure that way too. Yeah. 
I've been thinking about this when it, sometimes when people are talking about autonomous vehicles, they are sort of implying that we're going to have a wireless control of them uh, so that somehow the intelligence is in the cloud somewhere, which sounds incredibly stupid because if you jam the signal, uh, what should the car do? Then it needs to have right. its own intelligence. and. Can it really rely on having a GPS signal that tells it where it is? Or is it just like anyone else that if you don't have a GPS, you need to look around and, and try to assess where you are and, and drive in a safe way? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it sounds like Christmas Eve for anyone uh, into sabotage, right? You drive yeah. up nearby one of these autonomous vehicles and you jam the relevant frequency bands and the car has no idea what to do. So I suppose the only thing it could do is to slam the brakes and then you'd have some fun. I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, but you're certainly right. I mean, we are building, again, an infrastructure that's extremely susceptible to um, the sort of attacks. So I, I hope that uh, with this episode, we have sort of uh, made more people aware of these potential threats and that in the future, the networks and the new autonomous vehicles and all kinds of systems are going to be built in a way where this type of robustness is in the mind of designers. Yeah, I also hope so. Um, thanks a lot. Thanks, yeah, Emil. It's a thank great you discussion. For, for listening to this podcast. And... Uh, uh, then please subscribe or send us questions and we might base future episodes on your questions as well. So thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.